Attention, attention, the second season of the Goofy History Podcast has launched. Hello, everybody. Your favorite, your favorite guys, or at least one of them is. I got new two two new guys that I pulled up from the abyss. Say hello, gentlemen. Oh. Hello. I'm not new, but hello, anyways. I'm I'm new. Yeah, he's new. I dragged him out of the abyss, and then there's Gabe, who I pulled out of the sewer. I go, he's like a little That's sewer probably. creature. But, anyways, season two. I, at the end of season one, we said we had big plans, and boy howdy, we were not lying. We got good stuff going on. We're going to be cooking for you. We're gunning for a 12-episode season, as opposed to last season's seven, I believe. So, lots more content from your f- favorite three gentlemen, and you'll get you'll get so much good stuff. That's just how it is. But, uh, gents, I raise you this question. Have you ever had any... Any interesting experiences with animals of any kind, really? Um, I do, actually. When I was about six years old, I was going on a walk with my parents, and I not a chicken. A chicken appeared seemingly out of nowhere and started biting my legs and then ran away. It was very absurd. Bro, what? This chicken spawned in for real. What about you, Nathan? How you, what about you? Um... I do have a um, weird story. So right. I was about seven or eight um, when I went to the zoo with my grandparents. Right. And um, what they had was this big dome that had like mesh wiring all over it. Mm-hmm. And what they had birds. They had hundreds of birds in there. It was really cool. Nice. Um, but anyways, so we were able to buy sticks with seeds on them so that you can have it in your hand, and then the yeah. birds will come to you and eat the seeds, right? Yeah. And I was given one, um, my eight-year-old self, <laughs> and I was twirling it around, and then I remember a bird just diving at me, and then it kind of landed on my hand, and then just took the whole stick and flew away. Nice. W bird. Um, and I was, yeah. Um, but then, uh, yeah, that was, that's the story. Um, that's Alright, so mine, I don't even know how to describe this, really, but, okay, so, hang on, uh, insert Jeopardy sound, future me, I gotta think of what I was gonna say. Oh, yeah, so I was, like, probably four or five, right, so, preschool or kindergarten, and I went to the zoo with my grandparents, and while we were there, we went to, you know how at our zoo, you walk into, like, the big cats exhibit, and they're all, like, inside? So we walk in, we got to the tiger. The tiger sees my grandpa, starts walking towards him, and turns around and just starts pissing all over the glass in front of my grandpa. <laughs> so, that, that yeah, that's the entire story. That was funny. But, yeah, that's great. W, w Tiger, starting dominance. But, you might be wondering, why did I ask you that question? That's because today, yours truly, is going to be talking about the use of animals in warfare. Now... At least, I'm pretty sure most people are familiar with that concept of animals being used in war. Notable examples would be, like, cavalry. So you'd have... What is the definition of cavalry, actually? Uh, The definition of the cavalry is an army component mounted on horseback. So uh, your cavalry would be all your guys 
on horseback. Or, the definition of cavalry is slightly different now, but if you had mounted infantry, which were on horses, but they were considered dragoons, so they weren't really cavalry, but they were basically mounted infantry that used their horses to get around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, common examples of cavalry. You've got, obviously, the Mongols. They will, they were known for that. That was kind of their thing. And then you had your you got you got your classic your knights. They got their they were considered heavy artillery, so they'd be your shock troops. So they would charge in. You've got your Polish winged hussars. Those were considered hussars are generally light cavalry. I haven't done a whole lot of research into the winged hussars of Poland. But if I recall, they kind of serve both purposes. If I am wrong, please call me out in the Discord server, which you can find in the description below. Yeah, we we need people to join him in. It's a party in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Desperately. Mm-hmm. Please join. So if you if you join, some good stuffs in there. At least when people are talking in it. So that's why you gotta join. Anyways, cavalry. Though, where do you, when do you think cavalry was became big? I'd have to say probably like the. Like the 1100s? 1100s? What do you think, Nathan? Um, maybe 1200s. 1200s? Well, before the Iron Age, cavalry was done by chariots. So basically, since the domestication of horses and invention of the wheel, there has been cavalry. Wow. So, they've been around for a while. What we consider, like, heavy cavalry wasn't really around until later. Until I want to say Rome, but I'm not sure. There's a photograph that I will attach for you guys in the group chat so you can take a look at this. So this is a illustration of some Assyrian cavalry. Now, if you may, as you may notice, there's no spurs, there's no saddle, there's no saddle cloths, oh, and no stirrups. So there's really nothing that they're they're just sitting on the horse and praying. That they don't get, th- yeah. that they don't fall off. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, just continue praying. Just, dear God, please no. Yeah, because if you get trampled by a horse, you're dead. You get kicked by a horse, you're dead. That's just how. It, that's just how it goes. They're beasts. Yeah. They're they're known for their large their their strength. So as we move forward in time, through um the like. 500 BCs, um, there were a lot of cavalry then, um, it, by the 4th century, uh, BC, or BCE, depending on which one you want to do, I'm just gonna use BC because it's one less syllable, um, in the warring states period in China, they were starting to get used a lot against rival, rival city-states, or just state general, and then, obviously, Alexander the Great defeated the Persians using chariots, Hang on, that is not... I, I read that wrong in my notes. Hang on. Not not that. By 331 BC, so when Alexander the Great defeated the Persians, chariots were obsolete. So you really weren't doing anything with chariots. And according to my notes, the last time that chariots were used as like shock force, as I talked about earlier, where they'd be leading the charge, continental Europe, that was in 225 BC. And it was in... um, It was used during the times of the Roman Republic. So, that's cool. 
Uh-huh. But obviously, that wasn't the end of chariots, because we still use chariots today, even though limited use. Um, chariots are, like, racing, stuff like that, because, obviously, why wouldn't you? Um, when Julius Caesar showed up in Britain, uh, they showed up on chariots, so they had gotten there. But by the time the Romans had, like, fully conquested Britain, they are also basically useless. Um, in ancient Greece, you were mainly just chilling. Uh, you got your Alexander the Great, obviously, all that stuff. You had light cavalry and heavy cavalry, but that would... There's enough info on that, because there's so many ancient Greek city-states, that that could be an episode of its own. Now, Asia is part part that's often overlooked. Do you guys know what caltrops are? Possibly. I do not. Caltrops are like spikes they put on the roads. So if you go over them, they'll pop your tires. Oh, so yeah, they're like so they're like spike strips, sort of. Yeah, they're basically they're spike kind of, strips. I mean, looking at them, they kind of look like really big jacks. Yeah, they're huge. But I'm not exactly sure because here's someone of them, someone using caltrops in ancient China. But like, you didn't have tires, so I'm not sure why. But I guess if they like lodged themselves in the wheel and made it uneven, that would also be a problem. Or maybe they got into the horse's feet. I don't know. Yeah, that could be. Mm-hmm. China loved their cavalry. So, everyone was cooking with the cavalry. So, um, according to notes, uh, this is questionable. Um, but according to some Song Dynasty era scholars, I have a coin from the Song Dynasty, um, they, the pistol and trigger crossbow was invented by the Chinese in the 4th century BC, and they would use them on their cavalry, uh, here, taking this directly from Wikipedia, quote, it was written by the Song Dynasty scholars Zheng Gongliang, Deng Du, and Yang Weide, I probably butchered all their names, in their book, uh, I don't even know how to, I don't even know what that word, those words are, uh, so, 1044 AD is what we're looking at. That massed missile fire by crossbowmen was the most effective defense against enemy cavalry charges. So they would just prop up and shoot arrows into these cavalry, into enemy six cavalry. So, China, they loved it. They loved, they loved cavalry, and they also loved large, ranged weapons. That's just a kind of common theme. I mean, lar- yeah, large ranged weapons are amazing. Yeah, they go hard. A uh, lot of stuff on horseback. Uh, in Korea, there's horse warfare. Samurais were often mounted on horses. So, do without information what you will. That's pretty scary. Uh, in India, like, loads of people use them. Chandra, there's a, uh, right here is a coin of Chandragupta II on a horse. So, uh, in the Indian subcontinent, cavalry played a major role in the Gupta dynasty, which is 320 to 600 uh, AD, and the period period onwards. India also, first evidence of toe stirrups, so that's cool. So a lot going on, horses-wise. Uh, then, what most people think of, the Europeans. European Middle Ages. You can't, knights are normally associated with horses. So in Europe, a lot of heavy cavalry became important, because shot combat became a big thing in Europe. You, uh, so, shock combat is basically, say you've got a bunch of dudes on horses with swords, right? If they charged in, you're gonna be scared as hell. 
So basically, they would just get all their heavy cavalry and they charge at the enemy. And a lot sometimes the enemy would immediately back down, and they, that was basically an automatic win. Um, in a lot of battles, you'll see that in China, this was evident too. Ho uh, cavalry not great against lar like bows, because um, yeah, horse horses. They're kind of, anyone who's been around a horse is, they're very jumpy. So if they get shot with an arrow, they're probably going to fall immediately. And if horses break their legs, they're done. That's just how they are. Normally have to put them down if they break one of their legs. So at the battle of, at, what were you going to say? I was going to say, and if, like, you... What? Huh? Okay. <laughs> Bro's just not talking. Alright. Yeah. Uh, where was I here? Um, so, yeah, English longbowmen... Absolutely destroyed French cavalry during the, uh... About that, fellas. That's alright. Like, Rip. Rip Bray's internet. Um, at the Battle of Agincourt, which anyone that's familiar with medieval history, big one, it basically, um, Battle of Agincourt, once they won the Battle of Agincourt, which was not supposed to be a British victory, it didn't make any sense, uh, but they did. They won super easily. Um, on the British side, they had... 6,000 to 8,100 8, men, which is not that many. And most of them were archers. Um, at least that's what it looks like here. And up to 600 of them were killed and 112 were identified. Meanwhile, the um, French people had anywhere from two to two and a half times that. But if you're counting armed servants, they had like up to five times that. They got, they lost. 6,000 of them were killed, most of which who died were French nobility, French noblemen. So that was also bad. Tons of them were captured, too. So that basically um, set the stage for an English victory of the Hundred Years' War, as far as I know. I'm This is not exactly my area of expertise. It's kind of three wars, but in the end, France did end up winning. So sorry for spoiling the ending of the Hundred Years' War. Um... So, just overall, cavalry, and then into the 17th and 18th century, they eventually became obsolete because horses don't do too well against guns. That's just kind of a, that's just kind of a thing. So, they became more and more obsolete and were mostly used as transportation, and then eventually replaced by vehicles. But they weren't absolutely wiped out. The last time they saw like major use was World War One, I, I believe. But I think there were a few in World War Two. I'm not sure about after that. But yeah, that was my rant for cavalry over. Uh, let's see. Now, obviously, war horses. Everyone knows about that. But um, do you guys have any questions you want me to answer? I do have a question actually. All right. All right. So, a big question. Is, do you have to know what all countries did choose to enlist animals? Um, if you're considering war horses and listed animals, then I would have... At one point, it was most. Because, like, if you see... If some country is destroying folks with their strategy, you're going to want to use that strategy, too. And that's what cavalry was, basically. Well, it did have its flaws, but every strategy's got its flaws. People wanted to use it, so loads of people did. So... Pretty much, I wouldn't say pretty much all, but a good majority of the countries used war horses. Um, now, enough talking about horses. Let's get into the fun stuff. So, 
uh, if you wanted to relay messages over the field, what you would want to do is you would want to use either dogs or pigeons. Now, dogs weren't necessarily only used for um, messaging roles. If you're familiar at all with what the Soviets did during World War II dogs, basically what they did was they strapped giant bombs to dogs, made them run under tanks, and then would blow the dog up, destroying the tank. So, yeah, they were just military dogs that would carry explosives. Sometimes they had them strapped on it. Uh, well, like, initially, the dogs were trained to, like, put a bomb down and run away. But at one point, they just strapped bombs to the dogs. And then as soon as on impact, just blew the dogs up. So, I mean, if it works, it works. You can't really blame them. Uh, pigeons, that's pretty obvious. Delivering messages by flight. Elephants. Elephants were used as, normally in Asia, because they're basically living tanks. Yeah. Uh, King Porus of India used war elephants against Alexander the Great. Even though Alexander the Great won, the elephants smoked everybody. Uh, if you guys are familiar with the phalanx, didn't uh, elephants are pretty good against phalanxes, as it turns out. So, the more you know. And then, uh, for sea stuff, dolphins. I was surprised when I learned about this. Um, normally they're used by navies, and because dolphins are weird, I don't know what their deal is, but they can detect mines and, like, locate equipment. And they were used during Vietnam and the Persian Gulf War, so that's pretty, pretty sick. Fairly recent. Mm -hmm. But, now there are specific animals that I also like to highlight. Uh, the, one of the most famous known ones is a bear named Wojtek, who's a Syrian brown bear, who's adopted by soldiers of the 20 se 22nd uh, Artillery Supply Company of the Polish Corps during World War II. Or Cor Polish II Corps, I believe that's whatever it says. Um, they found him in Iran, and was bought by the Polish, because they were on their way back to join the British. And as, as Wojtek grew, they were like, you know what would be really, really funny? They get, we'll, we'll just enlist him as a soldier. Because then he could get rations and be transported with the unit. 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 Uh, he got a rank, got a pay book. I don't know what they paid him in, but I can look that up. Probably like extra rations or something like that. Yeah, probably like that. Let's see. Well, his Wikipedia article's got nothing, so that's up for you fine folks listening to, for, to find out. To get to figure out what they paid him in. But, um, they gave him a paybook and all, rank and all that stuff. They gave him, like, he was a private. Uh, he became, like, a mascot for his unit. Because when you have a literal bear in your unit, why wouldn't you do that? That is incredibly obvious, I feel like. Um, during the Battle of Monte Cassino, I believe that's how it's pronounced, in Italy, during, uh, in 1944, if you're familiar with how World War II played out. Uh, uh, it was bad. Battle of Monte Cassino was rather, rather bloody. Um... It was just not that great. What it was, was... It was an Allied victory, by the way. Basically, it was four military assaults against German forces in Italy when they got, went up through Sicily and were trying to get to Rome. Uh, they did succeed, and it formed something called the Gustav Line. And, yeah, repeated artillery attacks on Allied made everything real bad because it, it misled the Allies, had to figure stuff out. And, yeah, it was, that's a lot more to explain that I don't 
I didn't really write down a lot about. But it resulted in about 55,000 Allied casualties. And while and Germans, um, German casualties are about twenty k. And if you guys are familiar with the term Ferric victory, I believe it is. I believe it's pronounced P Y R R H I C. It's basically when you do win, but you took so much and put so much manpower or such a big toll that you might as well have lost because you've wasted so much. You know what I mean? So there's. You probably would have better. Be, you probably would have been better off losing. But so that's what Battle of Casino was. Um, Wojtek, uh carried ammunition crates around, and he was just chilling. He was just helping out, doing cool stuff. So after the war, he went to the Edinburgh Zoo in Scotland, and he spent the rest of his life there. So he was also promoted to corporal. So that means uh, if I am. Um, I don't know, you, what are you, uh, Nathan, you might know. Is a corporal considered an NCO? Um, I'm not sure. Alright. Uh, well, Google, tell me. Uh, in the Australian Army, they're junior NCOs. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, in the U.S. military, they are NCOs. Cool. So, uh, I don't know about the Polish military, though, but if he was in the U.S. military, he would have been an NCO. Which, if you had your bear as a commanding officer, that would, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's not very good. Yeah. So, uh, you might be thinking, well, what, 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 what conflicts most recently used animals? Um, most conflicts use them today. Uh, obviously, military working dogs that are used in Iraq and Afghanistan. U.S. used dogs loads for this because they're for patrol security, bomb detection, searching and rescue. That's all, all that stuff is their forte. Marine mammals, as I mentioned, dolphins and sea lions the U.S. Navy uses. Um, some forces have used trained eagles and other birds of prey to counter small drones. Um, it's more experimental, though, and has been tested by a few countries in a way to, like, bring down unauthorized zones where you can't necessarily just blow them up. And then sometimes people still use pigeons. But as, obviously, technology evolves, evolves, the need for them becomes less and less, obviously. Yeah. Yes. So... Any questions that you want me to uh, spit out? I do have a bit of a question, actually. Alright. So, do you know, how would they how would they choose which animal to enlist, like, above other animals? I'd assume they would just you, do make an educated guess on which animal would be the most useful in a certain scenario. That's what makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, uh, so another question. Alright. Um, would there be, like specific units that would be dedicated to using animals, or would they just be, like, randomly selected into one unit? Uh, if you're considering cavalry as using animals, then yeah, there were cavalry units, so. Okay. Uh, that's kind of an argument on semantics at that point, though, so it becomes pretty pointless at a certain point. Yeah. Any more? Sounds good. question that hasn't already been answered. Alright. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, I do have a question. Oh, alright. So, about how many animals died because of their usage in wars? Uh, that is a metric that is really hard to find information on. Because you don't... It's impossible to figure out... Because there's going to be uncatalogued deaths, obviously. Like, going back to the Iron Age, we don't know how many horses died while they were being used as a cavalry with chariots. 
it's basically impossible to put a mark on that. If someone wants to, be my guest. But, yeah, it becomes difficult at a certain point when there's so much history behind it and also such extensive use, you know what I mean? That makes sense. Like, I, for instance, like, about 8 million horses died in World War One. Oh, interesting. Um, now, an honorary mention, um, I learned from a Salmonella Academy video about a baboon named Jack. And, so basically, what railway signalmen did is they would just, trains were coming, they would operate, like, signals from a signal box to control movement of trains and all that stuff. And this one guy named James Wide, who's disabled, he had a baboon. And he was like, you know what? I got an idea. So, for reference, uh, this baboon was his pet, and so, you might be wondering, how is James Wide, the guy who was his owner, disabled? Well, Wide was known for jumping between rail cars, and then he fell, and both of his legs got, had to get amputated below the knees. So, he can't really do anything. So, he was like, you know what, I'll make my pet monkey push my wheelchair and do my job for me. Which, pretty based. Did it do it? Did it do a good job? Or oh, it did a great job. He never made a single mistake in his nine years of employment. They officially employed this guy. Wow. Um, they had to verify his job competency, but then, guess what his salary was? What? 20 cents a day and half a bottle of beer a week. That sounds like a deal to me. If I was a baboon named Jack in late 1800s South Africa, then that would be great. And then he died of tuberculosis in 1890, which shows really how human he was. Because what's more human than dying of tuberculosis in the 1800s? So, looks like Gabe's having some technical difficulties. So, who, uh, let's figure out what we're doing next. So, I basically finished, oh, he's returned. I've basically finished all of my stuff. I've gotten through everything I want to talk about. So, next episode, if we're lucky, it's going to have a special guest on that I think um, half of you will really enjoy and half of you will not enjoy at all. So, stay tuned for that. And then also, I've decided to spice this up a little bit and in honor of our higher production value. We have a challenge wheel. Now, we didn't implement this today because it's the pilot. And we weren't sure how smoothly this would go. But my co-hosts here have looked over the um, wheel. Uh, Nathan, have you seen the wheel? You told me about it, but I have not seen it. Alright. Uh, we haven't done all the challenges yet. But just a few, just a f two examples. Uh, one of these is start every sentence with my fellow Americans. And every time I yell rap mode, you must rap the next sentence. Or, I might change that to, the host must wrap the next sentence. So, that's how, that, that's how that goes. A lot of good stuff. We stole a distractible format for this one, so that'll be a fun one. But, yeah, any last questions, YouTube, unre unrelated to the topic or related? Um, uh, no. Alright. So, thanks for tuning in to our Season 2 premiere. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed our higher production value, or slightly higher production value, and we'll return for our next episode, which will be a good one. Um, alright, I guess without further ado, thank you my little goofy history goblins, and I will see you 
whenever I see you, or when I enter your ears, what, whatever. Pedantics. Semantics, not pedantics. But, alright, see y'all.